0: So I'm Dennis, one of the pastors here. If you are new with us this morning or just newer to Garden City, I'm so glad that you are here. On your seats are those cards with the QR codes. That's how we know if you're new that you're here so that we can follow up with you and communicate with you and invite you into different things that happen in the life of our church. So if you are newer... Or if you've just never filled out our online Connect card, you can tune me out for the next five minutes, but would you scan that QR code and fill out the online form so that we know you're here? This morning, we are starting a brand new series. We are going to begin this morning our study of the book of Acts Um, that we... It feels like kind of cool. First time we've done a series and actually had like a graphic that goes along with it. Thank you to Megan Michaels for, for making our axe graphic. Feels, feels really nice. It's like these small markers of growing up. You, you have a graphic for a series. And I think like we're going to try to figure out, I guess just to maybe say this, like um, we're going to be in this series for a while. Um, Wow, that great! Was that you, Carrie? All right. So we're going to be in the book of Acts for a while. We're going to follow the natural flow of it. There's actually three parts to the book of Acts. So the the first part kind of follows the expansion of the early church in Jerusalem, and then the next part of it follows the advancing of the early church and the gospel. Um, into the region of Judea, and then the last part of it, the third part of it, follows the expansion of the gospel in the early church into what Jesus might refer to and the apostles do as well as the ends of the earth. And so, we're going to follow that natural flow as we go throughout the year. So, we're going to focus on the first seven chapters of Acts in this first part of our study of the book of Acts. We think this is gonna set us up throughout the year that if there are things that we feel we need to speak to at different points or if there's small little sermons that we need to give or series we think we need to have to address things that are happening in our communities or in our lives, this gives us the opportunity to do that. But just a heads up that like this is like 50 plus weeks of walking through the book of Acts. When we sat down, um, the way that we have started like building series is that we invite a group of people to all sit in a living room together and we look over sections of these books that we want to study. So a few weeks ago, we had about 12 people in our living room talking through just the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And really what we do with that is like, it's this attempt to look at the passages in the book and just say like, what are the ones that we have to teach? And this was one where we went through it and everyone was like, you have everything. We can't skip anything, we have to teach everything. And it was like, okay, you know that means we're gonna do this for like two years then. And everyone was like, yep, that sounds great. So that's where we are. Also, we're gonna try to figure out some different ways throughout the course of the weeks to be maybe providing some additional information and insight into what we're studying because frankly, we just can't fit it all into a 30 or 40 minute sermon. And so we're going to have to figure out different ways to communicate so much of what's happening in this book. So with all of that, the book of Acts is in many ways the beginning of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is Recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is speaking with his disciples, and Jesus says to them, beginning in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Throughout the book of Acts, we're going to get an up-close view of the disciples who, once we get to the book of Acts, begin to be referred to as the apostles because they have witnessed the resurrected Jesus. We're going to see the way that the apostles begin to live into and fulfill this great commission, how they begin the work of discipling all nations. And they do this it's worth noting, after apprenticing Jesus for three years. For three years, they've spent time with Jesus. They've learned Jesus' teachings. They have taken on a lot of Jesus' character and started to live their lives the way that they have seen Jesus live his life, life. And now they're really beginning to live out Jesus' kingdom mission. It's a new phase of apprenticeship that they are Leading into. And while Jesus might not be physically present to the apostles in the majority of the book of Acts, we're going to see that Jesus is actually through the Spirit very much still present to his people. Very much still at work to lead and to guide, to shape and to form them and to also guide them into their mission. That it's the Spirit of Jesus that is going to embolden them. And give them the courage that they need to proclaim the gospel and also to stare directly into some very real moments where their lives are at risk. And they're experiencing persecution. And they'll discover that just as Jesus said to them in the Great Commission, he is with them always, even to the end of the age. And I want to say this here at the beginning of our conversation today. It's language that I anticipate incorporating over the course of this entire study of the book of Acts. We will increasingly see the apostles' lives become more and more aligned with the life of Jesus as we go throughout the book of Acts. Because when Jesus' followers are faithful, their lives will follow the arc of Jesus' life. We'll say that again, when Jesus' followers are faithful, their lives will look like Jesus' life. And I think it's worth establishing here what that actually means. Because oftentimes we exist in Christian spaces or church spaces that overemphasize some aspects of following Jesus and underemphasize other aspects of following Jesus. When we tend to talk about becoming more Christ-like or growing in relationship with Jesus, when we talk about increasing levels of sanctification, we tend to focus on the ways that we become like Jesus in our ability to walk in the Spirit or to experience supernatural realities, My experience has been seeing people who really lean into the person and presence of Jesus so that they can experience those mystical and spiritual and supernatural moments, almost as though as we follow Jesus, we just learn to live on a mountaintop for the rest of our lives. And yet, what we see through the arc of Jesus' life, and what we'll see as we follow the apostles throughout the book of Acts, To follow Jesus means to face opposition, it means to fear for your life, it means to experience persecution. For Jesus it sometimes meant not knowing where he would go to sleep, where his next meal would come from, and facing directly injustice of different kinds. When Jesus' followers are faithful, their lives will look like Jesus' life. As we seek to be faithful followers of Jesus, our lives will look like Jesus' life. There will be moments of great joy. Moments of transcendence, moments of power, moments where we can't explain what we're experiencing or what we see happening apart from just saying, Jesus, praise God for what he is doing. And there will be moments of great darkness and great struggle. Moments where we're not sure where he is. Moments where nothing seems to be coming together the way that we want it to. When everything seems to be working against us. And all of this is part of following Jesus. It's worth saying that when we face persecution or opposition or when things aren't working quite the way that we had hoped they would or that we wanted them to. Or things just aren't coming together the way that we wanted them to. When we're experiencing struggle, that does not mean that Jesus isn't with us. That doesn't mean that we're somehow outside of the will of God or not actually where Jesus wants us to be. To follow Jesus means periods of great joy and great suffering. Moments of transcendence and moments of where in the world are you, Jesus? Moments of I can't believe this is my life and moments of I don't even know if this is my life. And all of this is on the spectrum of what it means for us to be faithfully following after Jesus. But before the apostles are ready to begin their assignment, before they're ready to fulfill this mission, it seems they need to spend a little bit more time with Jesus. And what we'll discover as we look at just the first 11 verses of the book of Acts chapter 1 is that there is one thing above all else that's necessary in Jesus' mind for his disciples, now apostles, to be able to fulfill their mission. One thing, that they could have everything else. They could have all of the knowledge, all of the resource. And if they lack this one thing, all of it's for naught. So, let's start in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says, after his suffering, after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them, the apostles, over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Two things to pay attention to in in this verse. First, Jesus took very seriously, demonstrating to his followers that he really had risen from the dead. It mattered to him that the people that he was going to send out onto this mission were convinced that he had really risen from the dead. That they saw it, that they knew it, that they experienced it. Paul He gives insight to what a little bit of this period looks like where Jesus is appearing to people. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve, the disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Over the course of 40 days, there are multiple moments of Jesus physically demonstrating to individual people and large groups of people that he really did rise from the dead. For some reason, Jesus doesn't want to send his followers out on this mission without them seeing it, knowing it, experiencing it, being convinced of his resurrection. They don't want to just know, well, my friends said they saw him, and so I think I trust that. It matters to Jesus that his apostles are convinced of the reality That he has risen from the grave. The second thing in this verse is that Jesus intentionally taught the disciples about the kingdom of God. For 40 days, the apostles get what you might consider an intensive class on the kingdom of God. With the resurrected Jesus being the one who is teaching them about the kingdom of God. Now, what stands out to me about this, and probably to you, is that the apostles have already spent three years with Jesus. This is not the first time they've heard about the kingdom of God. He announces his ministry by saying the kingdom has come near. They've heard about the kingdom from the very first moments that they started to follow Jesus. Three years of it. And yet, apparently, Jesus needed to teach them more. And he needed to teach them again. There's almost this sense that they could only understand the kingdom in part while Jesus was with them, and it wasn't until he had died and risen from the dead, and then he had demonstrated to them, I really have overcome the grave, here is my body, here are the scars, that they could now understand the kingdom in fullness in a way where they would actually be able to take this understanding of the kingdom and then communicate it to other people and to live it out amongst themselves. But why? Why is Jesus so intent on appearing to people in his resurrected form? Why is he so interested in ensuring that they understand what the kingdom is all about? It seems that Jesus knows if the apostles stand any chance of fulfilling their assignment of not abandoning the mission when they face opposition or when they are running for their lives or when they are about to be martyred. They need to know, to really know that the story is real, that Jesus really did rise from the grave, that he really did overcome death. And he wants them to go convinced and knowing inside and out the realities of the gospel, and the kingdom of God, because it's the kingdom that gives shape to the message they're going to teach. It's the kingdom that gives shape to the community that they're going to build. And if the apostles don't have a proper understanding of the kingdom, they'll build the church wrong. If they don't grasp the fullness of the kingdom, its ways and ethics They won't be able to fulfill the mission they're being sent on. Remember, there are parts in the Gospels where even Jesus' disciples are convinced that the kingdom comes through political means. And Jesus needs them to know that is, like, the kingdom has political implications. But that's not how we bring the kingdom into this world. The kingdom is not primarily a political system. It's not primarily an economic system. The kingdom is something entirely different. And if we're going to build rightly, we need to make sure that we understand the upside down nature of the kingdom. Where the people on the outside are actually the people on the inside. Where the people of ill repute are actually the people who sit in seats of great honor. Where the poor and vulnerable are lifted up. I want to pause here for a moment because I know for some of us in the room today, belief can be really hard. Faith in Jesus can be really hard. Some of us are here this morning and we're not sure any of this is real. We're not convinced yet, we haven't placed our faith in Jesus yet, or we're just in a season of struggle and doubt. I think Jesus knows this about us. I think it's why the gospel writers included stories like the one about Thomas. You might remember the story of Thomas. It's in John chapter 20. In verse 25, Thomas says this to the other disciples, some of whom have already seen Jesus in his resurrected form. Thomas looks at them and says, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas has heard his closest friends say, we saw him, Thomas, it's real. And he's like, not enough for me. And I always in the past have read this response of Jesus almost as like Jesus being like, Thomas, come on. I don't think that's his posture at all. Right, if we just look back a few weeks when we were talking through this three parts of like Jesus weeping, Jesus is patient with us, not angry. He's gracious with us. He's full of mercy. He meets us where we are. And in verse 26, we're told by John a week later, a week after Thomas declares that he's just not able to believe unless he sees it, A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus cares very deeply about meeting Thomas in his doubts and saying, I hear you. I'll meet you where you are. Provide for you what you've asked. You needed to see the nails? Here. He didn't chastise Thomas. He didn't tell him to get his act together. He didn't tell him to have better faith. He didn't tell him, like, be like the other disciples, Thomas. He just met him in his need, met him in the midst of his doubt. When we struggle to believe, Jesus doesn't respond with anger. When you are doubting, Jesus meets you. He meets us with grace and mercy and care and patience. In our doubts, Jesus moves towards us, not away from us. Back to the story in Acts. In verses 4 and 5, Luke writes this. On one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift of the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's clear at this point that being convinced the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are real, and knowing Jesus' teaching on the kingdom inside and out is not enough. fulfill the mission Jesus wants to send his apostles on and that he wants to send each one of us on. Jesus spent 40 days with hundreds of people in his resurrected body so that they would be convinced that he really is the Messiah, that he really is the Savior of the world, that he really is the Son of God. 40 days teaching the apostles about the kingdom and even still They're not ready to begin their assignment. Jesus tells them they need the spirit first. Knowing Jesus is real is good and necessary, but not enough. Knowing the kingdom of God inside and out is good and necessary, but not enough. If they're going to have any chance, if we're going to have any chance fulfilling the mission that we are sent on the apostles and us need the spirit and what Jesus is doing is prophesying about the fulfillment of an old testament prophecy the prophet joel made a promise God spoke through the prophet Joel to his people and he made this promise. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Can we just pause for a moment and recognize that even in the Old Testament, Jesus is inclusive of women in his gospel mission? Even in the Old Testament... It's still funny to me that there's like debate about this. An Old Testament prophet is saying the Spirit will come so that women and men can do the work of testifying about me, of communicating the hope of the gospel. And then in John, again, Jesus himself told the disciples that he would be gone one day and he would send the Spirit in his place. In the Gospel of John, we hear Jesus as he speaks these words to the disciples. This is verse 16 through 20. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in or with my Father, and you are in or with me, and I am in or with you. This moment where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit, what he's saying is, you need to go and wait for me to come into your life in a new and different way, a more intimate and more powerful way, where I'm not external to you, but I am inside of you, and the same power that has been at work in Jesus throughout his entire earthly ministry now takes root inside of each and every one of the apostles And theologically, biblically, we understand it to be that every person who places their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus and declares that he is their Savior and Lord, that same Spirit is also in them. It's in us. The Spirit will come and indwell the apostles and every person who believe in Jesus. And those last five words in this, and I am in you. That's what Jesus is saying to the apostles in Acts. That's what Jesus is saying. All these other things are good, but unless I am in you, unless you have the Spirit, which is me, something just to say this here, the whole way through the book of Acts, when we hear the Spirit, we should think of it as the Spirit of Jesus. It is the Spirit of of Jesus, The Spirit leads the apostles and us to do the very same things that Jesus was doing in his own earthly ministry. The book probably could be called, instead of the Acts of the Apostles, it's like the Acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and his apostles. Jesus is saying they need him. And so the apostles then ask Jesus a question in verse 6 that I think is a really interesting question. He says, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He, Jesus, says to the apostles, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power from when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The apostles, after spending 40 days with him, being convinced that he really did rise from the dead, after spending 40 days in an intensive class learning about the kingdom of God, they come to Jesus and ask him, is this when the mission starts? Are we ready now? Should we go ahead and get started on this assignment now? And their question is rooted in a proper understanding of the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and how the gospel will spread throughout the gospels and throughout New Testament writers. It's clear that the message of the gospel is first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. In Romans, Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. In John chapter 4, Jesus says, as he's interacting with a Samaritan woman, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, the Jewish people, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. The apostles know this. They know that Jesus' message needs first to be preached to the Jews before it can be preached to the Gentiles and then spread to the ends of the earth. And so after the 40 days of resurrected Jesus being with them, they think they're ready. And they ask Jesus, look, I know you just told us to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit, but are we ready now? Can we go now? Can we start now? Can we do this now? And then Jesus responds to them. He uses a lot of words to tell them, no, you're not ready. You think you know everything you need to know. You think you are ready to take on the world and turn it upside down in my name, But no, you are not ready because they lack the spirit. It's this moment um, that it reminds me of a scene in the first movie of the Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie, if you've watched the Lord of the Rings. But in the first movie, as Frodo is starting his journey, with a ring that needs to be destroyed in order for evil to be defeated. Gandalf who is a wizard goes to Frodo and says, "Go to the village of Bree and wait for me there." Gandalf says to Frodo like, "You have all the passion in the world. You know just enough about the story to be dangerous." Don't you dare try taking this mission on by yourself, though. Go to Bree and wait for me. Jesus is telling his disciples the exact same thing. You think you have all of this passion. You want to see the world turned upside down in my name. You want to see the kingdom spread to the ends of the earth. But don't you dare start this mission without me. Don't you dare. Do this in your own power or wisdom. You can only do it with me and my spirit. The last few verses of this passage I think are just really fun. Luke tells us that Jesus, after telling the disciples, no, go wait. Like I said before, go wait. Luke tells us that Jesus ascends into heaven that he literally just starts floating towards the heavens. And the apostles are witnessing this, and they are standing there and watching him as he quite literally floats up into the sky and towards the heavens until he is completely hidden by a cloud. And we're told that even once he is hidden by a cloud, the apostles continue to just stand there and stare. And it takes God sending two angels to go to the apostles and say, like, please stop staring into the sky. Go where you've been told. You need to go to Jerusalem. You need to go wait. It's such a good story. But what does it mean for us Today? I had three points, but I think the first two are unnecessary. We do need to believe that the story is real. We do need to know that the kingdom, we need to know the kingdom inside and out. None of it matters if we do not have the spirit. None of it matters if we do not walk in step with the Spirit, if we are not sensitive to the Spirit, if we are not in communion with the Spirit, if we are not asking the Spirit of Jesus in us what our lives are supposed to look like, what we are supposed to be doing, and how we are supposed to be doing it. In my experience over... 15 years of pastoring. I can't tell you the number of times I've interacted with Christians who take this kind of posture to their faith. I made this choice. I hope God blesses it. That we just run out in front of God. And oftentimes, We're running out in front of God for good things, for things that arguably might even be godly. But they're not necessarily things that God has asked them to do or told them to do. The number of times I've seen people decide, this sounds like a good thing. No, did you pray about it? Which is like, seriously, like, when your pastor sits across the table from you at a cup and you're getting coffee together and your pastor looks at you and says, like, did you pray about that? That's like the equivalent of us in a football game taking a red flag and throwing it on the field and being like, we have to review the play. It's like pastoral 101. Ask your people if they've prayed about what they're doing. I cannot tell you the number of times people have looked back at me and be like, huh, oh, no. You think I should? I do. We can make the same mistake that the apostles made. We can be convinced that the story is real and think that's enough. We can go to seminary. And spend years studying the Bible. Or we can spend years in Bible studies. In small groups. Where we know the Bible inside and out. And we have this deep intellectual knowledge. It's not enough. Both of those things are good and important. They're necessary. But the kingdom doesn't get built based on intellectual knowledge alone. The kingdom doesn't get built by a group of people just convinced of a thing. The kingdom is built in our neighborhoods. When we know the story is real, we understand the kingdom. And we go in the power of the spirit. And we do the things that are ours to do and we know they're our things to do because we've heard the Spirit communicate it. And just to say this, maybe to push back on one element of Christianity, at least the way that I have been predominantly taught it and experienced it over the years. I could be, I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong. I don't think there's one moment in the book of Acts where we're going to see like the apostles discern things alone. They very frequently discern things together. Peter has a dream and then he talks about the dream with the other apostles and then decides to act on it. Paul, I mean, his great conversion that will come later, he has this individual powerful moment with the spirit, but then he is taken somewhere and he's cared for by the apostles, and then the apostles teach him for years before he actually goes out and starts on the mission. I think there's something here for us as a community of people. That more often than not, the way that we properly discern the leading of the Spirit in our individual lives, but also in our corporate lives, is with each other. It's in relationship with each other. So, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, the very beginning of this study for us. The foundational reality and truth. Is that as we faithfully follow after Jesus, our lives are going to increasingly look like his, in joy and in pain. And the only way that we can faithfully live out our mission is when we go with the Spirit, when we know that our intellect and our skills and our talents are not enough apart from Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be together, to hear your word, to wrestle with what it means for us today. Jesus, continue to speak to us as we move into communion. We love you and pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.